Welcome to the Brunch and Slay podcast, your weekly dose of inspiration. Well, we remember that if she can, I can, we all can. I'm your host, Amira Sain, founder of Brunch and Slay, a lifestyle brand created to inspire women to live their best lives every day. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Brunch and Slate podcast. I am so happy to have you here. Uh, I'm excited because today's subject is a little taboo and a little naughty because that's just me. <laughs> uh, but I, we are so lucky to have joining us today, Miss Elisa Bokin, who is a bilingual psychotherapist and sexual ex- expert. So you can see what I'm talking about with the naughty. Now, Elisa is obviously a professional and she is the founder of the Relationship and Sexual Wellness Center. She's also the co-founder of the Melanin uh, and Mental Health Movement. So she's basically, her and her partner are raising health and awareness for women who are Black and uh, Latinos. So this is something that I'm excited to talk about. I've been following her for a long time, and I think you guys are going to get a lot out of today's show. So hello, Elisa. Hello. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, no, it is my pleasure. I'm so glad that we get to talk today about sex. Yes. It's always a good day when you get to talk about sex, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. So I love, you know, before we dive into all the subjects, and I'm so happy that we connected because I think this is one of those subjects that we don't even realize that there are therapists. I guess we do in some cases because we hear about sex addicts and it's always derogatory. I'll say that. Right, right. We never hear about it from a positive standpoint. standpoint. So I'm so excited to just really dive in. But before we get started, I want to say some interesting things about you. You know, we talk a lot about pivoting on this podcast okay. uh, and your story is definitely a pivot story. So <laughs> I know you came into this part of your career, this what second career, because yes. uh, I had a different point in your life. So I would love it if you would share a little bit about your backstory and tell everybody about your, your pivot uh, and how you even landed in this realm. Sure. Well, I always knew I wanted to be a therapist. I think um, that was just always there. I was that kid in middle school who, you know, her friends would go to her for, you know, some advice. Or I was the kid who was looking at the trouble kid wondering, you know, what was going on at home. Um, And so I was originally a psych major, but I was also really impatient in my 20s. And so... um, I was like, how long is that going to take me to complete that degree? You know what? I've always had a business mindset, entrepreneurial mindset. So I decided to major in marketing. Um, but then, you know, life went on three children later, um, like 12 years later when my youngest, uh, was going to start kindergarten, I still had that in me that I wanted to know what it would have been like for me to be a therapist. And, one of my biggest fears, if not my greatest fear is regret. And I did not want to be, you know, 50, 60, looking back on life and saying, you know, I wonder what it would have been like. So when my baby started kindergarten, I started grad school and I went back, um, got my master's in marriage and family therapy. And I love it. it. This is exactly where I was meant to be. I love that. And and I love, 
Uh, and I know you've probably heard me talk about it. I love when we share the story of our, of our path that leads us to our thing that fills us up. You knew it was there before. And maybe, and like you said, you said something that was like so true in our twenties, <laughs> the impatience, we yeah. all have it. We're all just like ready to make some money, ready to get out of parents' house and not ever have to go back and, <laughs> and live this life we've been dreaming of and seeing on TV. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think for me also, I, I was the first one in my family to go to college. And so I really didn't have an understanding, you know, of what, the process was like, you know, I kind of was fumbling through it myself. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of the fumbling was, you know, ah, you know, this take, take a class in this, take a class in that. And so I didn't really have a lot of direction. I was kind of directing myself, which I think, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't regret it, but it was that added to the impatience. Oh yeah. And there's so much of that. I mean, you're, that's the story I hear all the time, especially in our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of folks are first generation college students and right. we're, we're going through in a haze, maybe not even on something as simple as when to drop a class. Absolutely. There is no blueprint. Um, and there should be. And I love now that, that the younger, this new generation has podcasts and different tools and resources that just weren't available to us. Uh, those who graduated in the nineties and early two thousands, mm-hmm. uh, and starting out this road of transition, it was just, it was just uncharted territory. So I love that there's so many resources and I love the fact that so many women are sharing their stories um, as to what their hiccups were, what they could have learned, what could have been done differently. But I also love the fact that we're sharing with people, hey, it's totally okay to create your own path, to be a mom first, to take care of your family, get them where you need them to be, and then go back and come out guns blazing, which is what you're doing. So, yes. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I actually think it worked in my, I know it worked in my favor, you know, because part of being a therapist, um, it really is an art. And so those years that I had of just life experience was something that I was able to bring, you know, to my, to, to my program, to the education, to my work that I do, that I wouldn't have been able to have had I not had that life experience. Oh yeah. So where are you from? Um, I originally grew up in Illinois. Um, my family is from Mexico. Um, and, found myself in Texas, um, my senior year of high school. Um, ah. Yes. <laughs> so I've been Whoa. here ever. Yeah. My family has family near the border. And so parents thought it was a good idea to, to, to move my senior year of high school. So, yes. Well, you know, that that's another turn. That's a great, I'm glad you said that too, because we often find ourselves in situations, especially our younger selves, where we don't have as much control. And I think that's a great way uh, to kind of talk about Mm-hmm. sexuality, you mm-hmm. know, uh, especially what you do, what was it that really intrigued you about this particular practicing this particular, uh, form of therapy? Sure. So, um, I'm trained as a marriage and family therapist. And when I began working, you know, with clients, I really enjoyed working with couples. Um, so working with couples, the topic of sex is going to going to arise. However, within your programs, you really don't get a whole lot of training um, in any one particular subject. Um, so it's limited how much information we would get 
on sex or, or how to deal with issues around sexuality. Um, and I'm just the type of person when I throw myself into something, like I throw myself into that thing. And I love this work so much that so often, um, when clients would get around to bringing up the topic, because there is so much shame around it, I found myself limited in how far I could take them with the therapy. And that just wasn't going to be enough for me. So I decided I needed to get more training around this so that I could really serve my clients as best that I could. Um, because I also really love, 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 and found myself loving working individually with women, um, and those that may have been struggling also with some sort of sexual trauma or just difficulty in really embracing their sexuality. And so I just knew that I had to become more educated around this topic so that when my clients trusted me enough to dive into that topic, I was going to be able to meet them where they were. Yes. And what was that process like? Where did you, you know, fine tune your skills and get this extra training? Cause I, I get what you're saying. And that's something I think a lot of people run into upon graduating, you know, degrees typically are, I always say umbrella, they encompass mm -hmm. so much because you touch a little bit on everything. And unless you're going into something as specific as a specialty, like open heart surgery or something along those lines. And at, at, you typically kind of just got to feel your own way and find your own ways to continue to grow. Where did you start in that process um, for learning more? So I, there's programs, um, that are dedicated specifically for a sex therapist to, to embark on that program. Um, Florida, I believe Florida is the only state that regulates who can call themselves a sex therapist. Um, so really that's part of what I tell clients to, to find out someone who is saying they do sex therapy, um, to make sure that you, they find out where they got their education. Cause really Florida is the only one that, that monitors that. Um, but for me, that wasn't going to be good enough to just say that I dealt with those issues. So I had a colleague mention to me, the university of Michigan has an amazing program. It's a sexual health certificate certification program where they have a sex therapy track and it's a year's worth of training. Um, there was like four times that you know, I went up there to Michigan, um, spent, you know, about like four days there in class, in training all day. Um, the rest of the times it was distance learning, but it was a very rigorous program. And then after that, I've done, um, group group supervision and individual supervision with um with one of the sex therapy supervisors to to you know staff um cases and make sure that you know I'm 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 doing what is going to be in the best interest of my clients. Right. Now you said when you first began your practice you were working with couples mostly. Is that still the case right now? Yes. Yeah, so in practicum, you know, you kind of get thrown into everything, but I knew that couples was where I wanted to go. So my practice right now is primarily couples and individuals. I see both. It's about 50-50%. Um, and again, I just have this um, love for helping uh, women individually as well who are struggling with their sexuality. Wow. So man, I, and you make, you know, I discovered, this is why I always say I love social media because that's where I discovered it. <laughs> and, um, I immediately grabbed my attention, not just because it was about sex. It was just, you, you just 
the way you posted and the way you talked about subjects, I thought, wow, okay, I want to know more. I want to know more about how she's connecting. And I, and I, my, I had so many questions. So a lot of times we hear nowadays, or I hate to say nowadays, but currently, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, everybody needs therapy. It's a good thing for everybody. Do you suggest that all women have a few sessions of sex therapy? Do you think this is something that would kind of help us get away from the taboos and finally feeling so shameful about sex? Yeah. I mean, even if it's not sex therapy per se, but some real solid sex education, you Mm -hmm. know, I think people have this misunderstanding about therapy that you have to have, you have to be in crisis or you have to have, you know, a, a major mental health issue. And really therapy is, is about our mental health, which, you know, that's, that's stress. That's, you know, not knowing what to do next or be it questions. So even if it wasn't a sex therapy session, but, but really getting solid sex ed, because you'd be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be surprised how much misinformation is out there and lack of information around women's sexuality. Mm -hmm. This is so, it's so funny. Uh, this weekend I went to a party and we were, it was all women and we were, we had a really great conversation about social norms for women and young men because, uh, at this group, all of, most of us were moms and everybody has kids at different ages. And we were just talking about when is it okay to talk to them and how open should you be and how difficult it is for young women. Like, you know, guys, uh, they, you know, it's just socially acceptable for them to talk about pleasuring themselves mm-hmm. or, or dealing with different things. But when it comes to young women, it's like taboo, shame on you. She's a bad girl. Mm-hmm. And I hear so often, and this has boiled my blood since I was a kid. It's different because he's a boy. Right. <laughs> or, um, you know, you don't want to be there. Just, you know, you don't want your, you don't, that's okay. Cause it's, it's a boy. So you expect them to be in their room with the door closed doing that, but not girls. Mm-hmm. So let, can we dive into that? Can we talk oh. a little bit about that? I, I don't want to put you on the spot. No, I, this is not putting me on my, the spot. This is like, if I had a bullhorn, I would walk around saying, you know, I tell women all the time, you know, pleasure is your birthright. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it absolutely 100% is. And as women, we don't get that message enough. And you're absolutely right. It's men have permission, right? It's understood Mm -hmm. that they are in touch with their, no pun intended, but (laughs) (laughs) they're in touch with their pleasure and they don't make, you know, any apologies for it. And women, you know, you, you talk about, when do you talk to children about sex? Really, it starts with just at the beginning when you're talking to them, right? Because I think so often parents get scared because they have this limited idea that talking to children about sex is talking to them about the act, which mm, is typically, yeah. you know, heterosexual um, vagina and penis Uh, penetration sex acts, right? Like that's what it's limited to. But really talking to your children about sex starts at the beginning when you start telling them that's your nose, those are your eyes, Mm -hmm. that's your penis, that's your vulva. That You know what I'm saying? Is being able to just empower them with the proper terms, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and how their body works. Mm -hmm. You're beginning to have the conversation around sex. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think with the terminology, a lot of people are so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I definitely can say I was not a person who grew up overly sexual, meaning like, oh my gosh, let's talk about it. Let's, Mm -hmm. uh, it was just, it always made me uncomfortable as a woman or as a young girl. And other than with my girlfriends, you know, you get to that age, you're asking questions and what do you know? And you know, all that good stuff as a teenager and an adolescent. But when it comes to female pleasuring, I don't think me and my girlfriends ever had talks about that. That was not discussed. Mm-hmm. I remember being in junior high and the guys talking about it. It became this just annoying thing that they talked about all the time and these mm-hmm. jokes. But girls were still shunned. How do we introduce, and I don't want it without sounding pervy, <laughs> how do we make that topic of conversation comfortable for girls in that age? And I don't even know what age that is, because honestly, I think I was a little square when it came to knowing a lot about it and what was acceptable and not. I'm pretty sure girls start exploring around the same guy, age as guys, uh, but we just don't talk about it. So how, as a parent, do you make your kids comfortable with that without just saying it's your body, explore it, mm-hmm. uh, and not making them totally uncomfortable thinking you're a creepy parent. <laughs> <laughs> Where's that, where that fine line? You know, I think what's, what you're talking about is the theme of shame. There's so much shame around it. There's shame in the idea that, that my body experiences pleasure. So how do I talk about that? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think for parents, the first part is to really check your own um, shame before even having the conversation because the thing you do not want to do is to shame your children mm-hmm. you know especially if they ask you a question now the part of being uncomfortable that may just be there you know right. like kids are just gonna be uncomfortable when you know their parents start talking most kids you know <laughs> my own included you know if I said they're like oh my god you know, stop <laughs> right and so I think really how do you begin to have that is just explaining to them how their body works. It doesn't have to be this in-depth conversation. It Mm -hmm. could be when they're, when children are little and they're in the bathtub, they just kind of naturally will tell you like, oh, you know, that tickles or this and that. And that's where you just start having like these little tidbit conversations. Like, yeah, you know, like that's your, that's your penis or, or that's your, you know, that's your vulva, that's your vagina, whatever. And saying, yeah, when you touch it, it might tickle you know, and only you can touch it. Mm -hmm. Right. But you do that in private, just like you tell them, don't pick your nose in public. Yeah. Right. Right? It's just, we can understand that we can have certain conversations with our children around any body part and how it functions other than their genitals. I love that. I love that. Just kind of making it normal. And and I hate to say normal because I sound so crude. No, I don't think that way at all. I just Mm -hmm. love that the conversation has started and I know that there's plenty of questions that have probably come from this. So we'll have to have you back. (laughs) Absolutely. I'd love to come back. Yeah. Great. So I wanted to know too, just to kind of lighten things up, what are some of the common questions people ask you when they find out that you are a doctor of sex? Well, I'm not a doctor. I'm, I'm, I, I'm I know, a, I know. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm sorry, guys. I don't want to confuse you. But yeah, I think about masters of sex and the show yeah. and all that good stuff. So yeah. A sexuality expert. Yes. yes. You know, it's funny because they usually, it's not so much questions right away. It's a response. Mm-hmm. So you'll have the people who, you know, they find out. I don't usually lead with it, but when they find out, they'll say, they'll either say, oh, Right. Or they'll say, oh, and then that's it. 
<laughs> you know, but um, they'll ask me questions around how, what is normal, quote unquote, um, you know, about how many times someone should have sex during, you know, the week, you know, couples, um, you know, they they might have, you know, it depends on the setting, depends on the setting. But typically people will just kind of have a reaction like, oh, I'm, I need to talk to you later about this or, <laughs> or they don't you know, want to talk about it. <laughs> and that's funny to me that people would ask you how many times they should have sex a week. Mm-hmm. If, if it's just like a formula that makes oh, people yes. happy. Oh, oh, that makes me sad for them. Absolutely. Oh. All right. So when it comes to resources, mm-hmm. um, on, on all topics, because there's a couple of the topics I want to dive. I guess I'll, we'll come back to that one. Okay. I want to know, uh, and this is something I, I kind of touched on with you a couple uh, last week. I think it was about the proper terminology now that we are learning more about gender identification mm-hmm. and things that we never knew even five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I love uh, the show. I don't know, and this is totally off subject, kind of. The show Billions. Is it Billions? Yeah, on Showtime. They have a, and I, and I don't even know what the proper name, but they have a character there, and they refer to her as they mm-hmm. uh, and them. Mm-hmm. And that was my first time ever hearing that. And I thought, wow, how cool is this? I'm so glad that, you know, we're using platforms now to educate people. And she, I mean, sorry, and they mm-hmm. kick butt in this role, like like total powerhouse. You don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how cool is this? I remember when they first said on the road, I was a little confused. But the more I got to know the character, and I thought, Wow, I love that we don't even identify with anything because it's just like you're owning your space. So uh, now that we're seeing that a lot more in media and television, and I would love for you to kind of break down proper terminology and the way to reference uh, different genders and how to not um, disrespect anybody or make them uncomfortable and just stay in your lane when it comes to, you know, uh, terminology for gender roles. Sure. You know, I, I really think that um, the using uh, terms like they um, is, is depending on the setting, right? Like some people are, are thinking like on a personal level or in a professional setting, um, using, you know, um, terms like they is probably going to be your best bet. I think when you're, when you meet someone on a personal level, that's where you, you know, you can find out, you know, the terms that they use. Um, I'm kind of used to this being in the sex therapy world. Like when we'll go to conferences and that sort of thing, like they'll ask you, you know, what, what are the terms that you want, that you want to use? Mm -hmm. So, I think part of it is just being aware. I think when you're even making the effort to be aware and to be conscious and to be um, respectful and sensitive to others, I think you're already on the right foot. You know, Um, I think not being so afraid to get kind of tripped up also because when you're learning and you're trying to become more aware, you might trip up somewhere. And so if you, if you've, if you have a conversation with someone on a personal level, you know, get to, get to know them and, and really kind of get a feel for what, what it is that they need out of the relationship with you. I think when it's a more general, um, like if you're in a professional setting or what have you using, they, um, just out the bat, Mm -hmm. you know, terms like that. I think that's where you're going to have your best bet. 
Right. Oh, that's awesome. That's really good to know. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm sure, you know, I'm not trying to break down what means what you guys can Google that. You don't need that. But, um, I, I like that terminology because a lot of times people get tripped up and I just think out of respect, Absolutely. you should, you should always treat people how they want to be treated. Period. It doesn't hurt you right. or affect you to call someone just like my name is Amira. My close mm-hmm. friends and family call me Mira. Right. You know, that those are two different terminologies and everybody doesn't get to call me Mira. Mm-hmm. So it's just about respect, Absolutely. you know, just like you wouldn't say girl, uh, to a grown woman, you know, or, or boy to a grown man. It's the same thing. And I want people to realize that it doesn't take much effort, but it, it shows your lack of, um, empathy, empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you won't even make an effort to make someone else feel comfortable. So, um, I'm glad you, you address that and let let us know the proper terminology. So another another thing that's really prevalent right now, everywhere, everywhere turn. And I don't believe it's just now being prevalent. I just think we're talking about it a lot more because every show that I like binge watch last weekend had something about either a fluid sexuality Mm -hmm. or open Mm -hmm. relationships. Yeah. So can we talk about it? (laughs) Absolutely. And I wanted to give one resource real quick to, as far as um, getting more information, um, WPATH, um, WPATH.org is the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. And they've got wonderful resources on there. So, uh, oh, I yeah. love that. I'm going to make sure we put that in. Yeah. So, yes, um, open relationships and sexual fluidity. Let's dive in. <laughs> yes. Because, because it seems so, on, I hate to say this, but it definitely seems on trend. And I don't know if it's on trend because we're finally talking about it and so many people already had these feelings and thoughts. Or is it on trend because a couple of cool people had these feelings and thoughts and everybody's trying it. Either way, you know, kudos to you, whatever makes you yeah. happy. But I just want to talk about, you know, what what you're noticing and from your perspective Mm -hmm. so I think you're right it's not you know open relationships and sexual fluidity it's not something new it's definitely you know there's more conversation I think around it now with the internet and social media and you know watching insecure (laughs) (laughs) that's one of my favorites I love shout out to Yeah, I actually did a blog post on, on on one of those episodes, but you know, as far as open relationships go, um, what I I definitely work with with that in my field. You know, I I work with people who are in open relationships. As sexual fluidity is something you know different from that, but I think as far as open relationships goes, I think they're there is some misunderstanding about what exactly that means. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest piece about open relationships that people misunderstand is that they think it's a free for all. Um, Mm -hmm. There's really, when people are in, you know, polyamorous relationships that are true polyamorous relationships, there is a great deal of conversing and communication and boundaries that are set into play. Um, and what's interesting is there is a, it, there is a great emphasis on stressing what the boundaries are on stressing, um, what the limits are of the relationship, probably more so than I even find, you know, in monogamous relationships, because in monogamous mm-hmm. relationships, people sort of go into it with this, this understanding, this understanding that they think, you know, well, this is what it means to be monogamous and it's understood, right? And then their partner may not. 
<laughs> they might have different limits and boundaries, you know? So right. I think that's the biggest thing around open relationships is that I think they're misunderstood. I think, um, people who are truly in them, they, they, they do a great deal of communicating and there are boundaries. Mm-hmm. Do you think there ever be a time where it's just where the society is more acceptable, where you might just know a couple automatically is the three of them sitting next to you, as opposed to now it's still kind of in the shadows other than on television. Mm-hmm. You know, every TV show has somebody they're highlighting in a polyamorous mm-hmm. relationship right now. Um, but do you think this is like going to help in the next five years? Will be, it'll just be truly the norm. Like we've watched so many things. I can, I think we're in a sweet spot because we've seen so many things because the norm from having cell phones that basically were computers, mm-hmm. you know, even color screens, mm-hmm. you know, so many things we've watched and now it's like, just what did we do before? You know, we don't even remember um, those times. Do you think we're on the cusp of that kind of sexual awakening? I hope so. I mean, I definitely think we're having more conversations around it. Um, I would, I would hope that we could get to a point where people kind of, you know, if I'm not hurting you, <laughs> you know, like live and let right. live. Um, I don't yes. know if I'll see it in my lifetime, but I would certainly, I would certainly hope that we could get to the point where I think the biggest thing is understanding that what works for you in your life, in your relationship may or may not work for somebody else. And that's okay. As long as I'm not in some way, you know, being being, you know, negatively impacted by that, you know, and being negatively impacted doesn't, you know, it doesn't count that I just don't agree with you. (laughs) You know, that's not (laughs) right. (laughs) You know, I just think people don't want to believe sometimes or understand that there are other ways that people live and that they're happy and they're healthy and they're functioning and they're good citizens and they contribute good to the world when it doesn't fit into this neat little box that they have, Mm. you know. That goes back to, again, folks, let's get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It makes everything so much better, not just with yourself. You know, I think that that's a huge thing that you just said. But that that definitely, I definitely see see progression. I see a difference, like I said earlier, from even five years ago, two years ago even. Um, And I love that we've started this conversation about sex. So definitely can already see you coming back lots of times (laughs) because I can't. This is such an awesome topic, and I think that we need to be be having it. We need to make sure that women are comfortable, young girls are comfortable, college-age women are comfortable, especially in light of the the climate right now with so many women speaking up about times that they have been uh, approached inappropriately, touched inappropriately, especially in the workplace. Um, I went to a dinner a few weeks ago, a Christmas dinner, one of my girlfriends threw, and one of the topics of conversation was, of course, workplace sexual harassment, and a couple of the women had never experienced it, which was shocking to me, and no, and no shocking as in they never even indirectly experienced it, never heard anything of it. I guess that's great, um, but I think right now, it's time for us to not just speak up. And I really want us to make it so prevalent to where these guys will stop saying things like, why did you wait five years? Why did they wait 20 years? Um, can you give some advice on that as to, and give some perspective as to why so many, why you believe so many people uh, often wait? I have my thoughts, of course, but I'd love to hear what you think. I think it's twofold. I think one, I think it's shame. 
You know, I think when when someone has been sexually harassed or um, sexually abused, sexually assaulted, there is a great deal of shame that they have. And I think the other part is, you know, I heard this a lot from women sort of saying, like, well, does this qualify as being harassed? I think it's so sort yes. of embedded yes. that people take for granted that, oh, that's just kind of how it is. And so I think sometimes yeah. just even being able to identify, like, that wasn't okay, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know, it's funny you should say that because we were talking and in, in, in another lifetime I was in the military. And I used to have this creepy soldier who was a sergeant who we all lived in this particular space. And this nut would come banging on my window at door, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, totally wasted. And I would always have to call his friends to get him away from my door because he would get wasted and get courage up to try to, I guess, date me. So he thought in his mind, but you don't date somebody at two or three o'clock in the morning and being in the military, you know, we're all very good friends. So I knew this guy. It wasn't like he was a stranger. Um, and I would call my girlfriend and say he's back and we would laugh about it. And now looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, why didn't I report this nut? Because he did it on so many times. I just thought, I don't want to get him in trouble. I don't know if he knows better. I'm not going to open the door, obviously. And I never felt fear of him, but I know that was totally inappropriate in the workplace now, you know, looking at all these things. things. Um, And I remember thinking, is that, is it totally wrong or is he just a drunk? You know, I didn't know what, (laughs) I didn't know, but I did report that he needed help on his drinking. I didn't report to get him in trouble on his um, crazy knocking on my doors at at night. But I remember being a little afraid too. I was in my early 20s, maybe 22, 23, uh, not wanting to rock the boat. He was a superior, you know, just all these different things that weighed in. And I thought about that recently and thought, wow, you know, that definitely made me uncomfortable. It made me not want to go out even in the middle of the night to go run and get a soda if I wanted to, because I didn't know if he'd be lurking, Yeah, <laughs> you know, which is crazy. Um, but I'm sure I know I'm not the only one, especially in those settings. Um, well, especially in those settings, but you never Absolutely. know. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and because there's, again, it goes back to this implied, like boys will be boys type of mentality. Mm-hmm that the woman is the one who's sitting there questioning if they're doing something wrong. And he probably didn't even think twice. Maybe he had a little bit of regret the next morning, but still not enough to where it wasn't happening again. And I think as, and I think as women, um, we're kind of uh, socialized and brought up to take responsibility for stuff that is not our responsibility (laughs) you know it's Mm -hmm. like it's not my it's not my responsibility if you get in trouble or not or like to keep you out of trouble and yet so often as women that's kind of like goes to you know being that be a nice girl you know and be nice and 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 don't be rude or what have you and uh, that's also a boundaries uh, violation. So going back to what we talked about earlier, how do you start talking to your children about sex? And this is, you know, part of it is teaching them about boundaries, not just physical mm-hmm. boundaries, like, okay, this is your body. Nobody touches you here, da, da, da. but also giving children um, the message that people can violate your boundaries without touching you. Like they can make you uncomfortable. Yes. And Mm -hmm. when that little alarm goes off in you, you know, inside of you, you can listen to that and do what you need to do to protect yourself and to say, you know, this isn't okay. But we don't get those conversations, especially as women. 
Right. You're right. And, you know, if I hear one more time, some person saying a woman trapped a man and having a baby or, you know, that one, all of those typically boil my blood because I'm like, why does this guy or this teenage boy, quote unquote, who gets caught up, uh, get a get out of jail free card. He had sex just like the girl had sex. He just doesn't have to walk around with the shame if she winds up pregnant is that she does because everyone sees it. Um, I'm just over it being so one-sided and I'm so glad this conversation has started. I want to continue to have it. I want to post about it. I want to sing about it. Like let's get the conversation started. Let's keep younger women being bold and fearless and owning their space and being vocal about things that are inappropriate. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to make everyone hypersensitive, but I do want people to be hypersensitive, sensitive about offending other people in any kind of way, uh, especially when it comes to something as intimate as sexuality. You know, I think, in, in, and I think it's not even about, you know, being hypersensitive. It's about being aware you know, just basic mm-hmm. awareness, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, how do you address other people and like what terms it's an awareness. And that awareness comes from this understanding that you respect other lives, period, you yes. know, and yes. having the conversations with our children, male and female, you know, I, I, I make it a point you know, to, you know, I have two boys and a girl and those conversations around consent and boundaries, I want to have it with both of them, you know, because I want my daughter to be aware of, you know, when she's being violated or how not to be, not how not to be, but what happens if you're violated? I want her to be aware of that, but I also want my boys, you know, and teaching them not just how to respect, how other people should respect your boundaries, but how you respect other people's boundaries as well, you know? And again, I think that's another example of when parents say, how do I talk to my children about sex? There's so many opportunities and it has to be an ongoing conversation. Yes. Yes. Now for those folks out there who are totally tuned in and wanting to know more and want to get in front of you, where can they find you? Well, they can find me. You can go to my website, www. (laughs) Everybody knows that part, right? T. See, the, the newer folks don't know you used to have to say that. I Nobody just aged what the World Wide Web was. <laughs> I just threw it back, right? T- okay. TRSWC.com. I'm also on Instagram. I'm on Facebook as TRSWC of Houston. Um, also, Melanin and Mental Health, uh, melaninandmentalhealth.com. Also on Facebook, Instagram, Melanin and Mental Health and also on Twitter. Yes. So what do you have any special events? I know you guys do events, uh, coming up that we should let everybody know. about. Yes. So I am going to be, um, on new year's Eve, the woman's earth, uh, is going to be having a new year's Eve brunch where I will be, um, one of the panelists there. Um, the brunch is from 12 to three. I think that's the right time, but go to the woman's earth.com and you can get tickets there. And then in January for melanin and mental health, we are going to be having um, this goal setting, intention setting for the new year. Um, that's going to be in January. Go to melaninandmentalhealth.com where you can get all the details and tickets. 
Yes. So you guys heard it and you will definitely be hearing more uh, from Elisa and we will continue this conversation. Go ahead and start emailing me questions now and we can have her on as soon as, you know, you guys start sending them. So I think this is awesome um, that we've connected and that we are able to share more knowledge and opportunities uh, with the community. And I cannot thank you enough for being here today and answering all my questions and making sure that we get this conversation started. You are awesome. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yes. And until next time, guys, make sure that you have subscribed to brunchandslay.com on what I'm sorry. Ha! Yes. Subscribe to brunchandslay.com, but most importantly, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform platform you use. If you're not sure and you're looking from my listing from my site, there's a Droid station there. There's Stitcher. There's iTunes. Whatever your preference is, just click on that link where it says subscribe under that particular uh, platform and subscribe there. And if you have already subscribed, thank you. And go ahead and submit your reviews. You can review us on that platform as well. And make sure you share it. If there's a show that really tickles your fancy or you just get the giggles like I often do, go ahead and share it with your audience on whatever platform or your friends. Shoot them a text. That's how we grow. I want to continue to bring powerhouses like Miss Eliza Bokin here so that we can start conversations and continue to support one another. And I cannot thank you guys enough. So until next time, I am your host, Amira Sane, and we have just brunched and slayed. Bye-bye.